DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We are joined now on the T-Mobile special guest line by Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider. T-Mobile and Sprint are coming together to build the best wireless company around. Visit T-Mobile.com for online services and local store availability. So, Steve, you joined us all summer long and said, I don't know what we're going to talk about this week with no games going on, but I'm pretty sure you know which shot we want to talk about right now. <laughs> yeah. So that was, uh, pretty amazing. So I I put it out on Twitter, the video, you know, what what's Plumlee doing? And somebody tweets back and says, Well, you could see him talking about switching in the timeout. And they're like, Well, yeah, but you switch when there's a screen and A D didn't come within five feet of LeBron. I mean, they're not playing a zone where you push the next guy out. You don't really do that in NBA because guys come open and they don't need to be open by very much or for very long, so you can't really do that in the NBA. Well, what yeah, happened? Well, I, is that just a brain lock? Is that is it just that yeah, easy? I mean, the, the thing about it is the, the, the other presence there was LeBron, and, and typically in these situations, they go to LeBron. I mean, and they had been going to him, and, you know, he had – had good good moments and, and some not so good moments, but I think number one in that timeout they had to be talking about LeBron and LeBron's sitting there at the elbow, you know, is he looking for a slip? Is he going to look for a back screen? Uh, and, and obviously uh, there was a lack of communication. They had they they talked about switching. You could hear that, and but you don't you don't you switch when the screen is set and you switch there and you communicate it and it's just shoulder to shoulder and you bump out and contest and. Obviously, the big fellow was a, a a little bit late getting out there, and Jokic couldn't get a hand. I mean, he had a hand up. It wasn't like he didn't give an effort, but you could have denied that pass. I mean, literally, you could have been right into the body, I and mean, he still could have made the shot, but it could have made it much more difficult. He just rose right over the top of him and still had to make an incredible shot. But there was a there was certainly a defensive breakdown there, and it starts with a lack of communication. And whether or not they executed exactly what Coach Malone wanted, I don't know. I, I, it's hard to tell, but it did seem and appear that they were going to switch everything and contest the shot. I mean, there's only two seconds left. Why not? Why not switch everything? And um, obviously, it didn't happen. And they'll, they'll, you know, you learn from those things. Unfortunately, uh, guy just made an unbelievable shot, and uh, uh, there you go. I mean, it's just a difficult loss. Denver had that game. They were in a position to win that game. And uh, the Lakers just kind of stole it from them. And the night day, I didn't think they played great. Uh, there was good things there, but I just thought they made so they turned, Lakers turned the ball over, took bad shots, and stood around a lot in that game, and couldn't never really kind of get the, the fast break going. That being said, they're still talented enough to make big plays, and they did at the end. So in this postseason, maybe there's more, but two high-profile buzzer beaters come to mind: Dawson against the Clippers and then this one Davis against the Nuggets and both of those involved screw-ups and miscommunications on switches could I make an argument in those situations don't switch you got your guy and you're accountable and to me I made this analogy on television I said that for Plumlee if Anthony Davis would have left the bubble you would have left the bubble too because you were assigned to guard him so wherever he went that's where you went yeah no there's you know, I mean, here's the deal. You body up, don't get screened, face, you know, you, you put yourself in a position to do that. I, I, I like that 
I mean, you, what happens when you start switching everything is people start slipping to the basket and there's, you give up something else. And, uh, that's a time that everybody just, you know, you, you just, everybody has to be accountable and you're talking about that. Hey, I am not leaving. I'll fight through the screen and you can get over the tops of screens. And, uh, again, it was a matter of two seconds, but, uh, you knew the guys that were going to probably beat you. I mean, you got, you got to go to the guys that are going to probably beat you. you. Certainly LeBron and AD were the two that you'd focus on, but it, it was a situation that, uh, uh, I, I have the same mindset that, that, that you do regarding that. I mean, let's just fight through everything. And uh, and then, obviously, there's a couple of guys you don't have to guard that you can kind of contain inside for slips or guys diving to the basket. But uh, they, 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 want, they needed a three. I mean, they wanted to win the game. And uh, so I, I, I agree with that theory and then with that philosophy. Uh, it's just better to everybody know who they have just uh, be tough, get through it, and do not let your guy get the ball. And if you get beat back the back door, then we go play overtime. But don't give him a three. So should the Nuggets be obsessed about that last shot, or should they be beating themselves up for turnovers? Should they be beating themselves up for missed free throws? Well, all of those things happen. Uh, I, you know, I think, I think the one thing that Denver knows is that they're good enough to beat this team. Uh, I, I personally feel like the Lakers beat themselves, put themselves in situations. Uh, I, I think Denver has to go. It's unfortunate, and emotionally it's a real drain. You don't have a lot of time to get over it. Uh, and they've had all these seven-game series, so you know you could say it could take a toll on them. But I, Denver's not that far away. And, 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 the, and the difference has been, you know, the, the – the play of AD or the play of LeBron late in games. And and the first game obviously was a blowout, but the Nuggets weren't ready to play game number one. I'd come off a seven game series. They did. They weren't emotionally where they needed to be last night. They were in a, they were in a place where they could win. I I think looking at the Lakers, I mean, there's a lot of things about the Lakers that, that I really, really like, but when, when the Lakers are best is when AD is at the five. And, and I know, and that being said, I think Dwight Howard has had a huge impact in this short series. And I think they need Dwight Howard. I'm not saying that they can't go big, uh, but, but certainly when you're going to take AD out of the game, Dwight Howard is a guy that I'd want to have there because physically he matches up with Jokic. He's got a presence. But I love it. Anytime this game is at an important time of the game, AD needs to be at the five. They can spread the floor. Everything opens up. And you've got, you know, whether it's LeBron playing the point or Caruso or Rondo, when things open up and it allows LeBron to attack the rim. And the nice thing is that AD now, when he sets screens, he can roll or he can pick and pop. And, and, and he can score that way as well. But the floor just gets spaced out so much better when AD's down low. And, and, and I know a lot of the, the pundits and TV and everything have, have talked about that as well. But I... I've been watching this Laker team play throughout the playoffs, and uh, having having those two bigs in there, whoever they are, uh, it, it just the spacing is bad. And what happens? They just stand around, and it's you know here comes the shot clock, and pretty soon it's fifteen, it's ten, it's eight, and guess what? We're going to take another contested shot. So they take way too many contested shots. Not that they're not capable of making them. They're, they're great. They've got some great players. But, man, long-term, that's not the way to play this game. And uh, 
they've got to get things going earlier in the shot clock rather than just depending on LeBron at the end, who obviously is really good sometimes at the end of the shot clock, but much better, much better when the floor is spaced and open, where LeBron has space to attack and, and Rondo can kind of probe and find people uh, where the floor is spread. So I think a lot of how the Lakers are playing led to a lot of the success that Denver's having. We so we saw after Game Two the Celtics kind of had a little internal uh, implosion there, and then they come out and win Game Three. Can that kind of stuff work to your advantage if you use it the right way? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, you you got you got to have that. I mean, everybody's afraid of that. You know, it's fearful that doesn't want that. What's the perception? You know, the locker room's not good. Man, if you, you you you're playing, and this coaching staff, Coach Stevens and his staff, they they know their guys, and they they know what what's in their heart, and, and, and it's kind of like you, you need a Marcus Smart. I mean, you need people who are going to challenge people. Those guys have been practicing and playing together for a long time. It's not going to be a hurt feelings deal. It, it's kind of a wake-up call. And uh, you, you have to have that kind of emotion and that toughness and that competitive spirit. You know, they, it's, they're playing a, a team that has the ability to, to really score and play differently themselves. But, no, I, I, I love the attitude. Uh, you know, obviously as a coach, you've got to control it and get things done. But getting guys to solve their own problems rather than having the coaches solve their own problems is always. A player-led team is always better than a coach-led team. When, it, when the principles are good sound and you're doing the right things, when guys come together, it, it makes all the difference in the world. And uh, we'll, we'll probably, maybe we're going to mention it, but, I, you know, one of the things I really saw from the Celtics yesterday besides just you know, four guys scoring in the 20s, Tatum 25, Walker 21, Smart 20, Brown 26, is the zone wasn't nearly as effective. And one of the things I thought that Gordon Hayward did and what, what they did throughout that game, they more consistently got the ball in the middle of that zone and guys were wide open. And really, Miami has won a lot of games playing this zone. I mean, it's like watching a college team, and they're really, really good at it. But uh, – Having Gordon Hayward back, whether he scores or not, putting someone there in the middle where you can find people, and you know, and he's going to get more comfortable. Uh, I just felt like the zone wasn't nearly as effective with, with Hayward, and even if Hayward hadn't played, that the zone attack by Coach Stevens and the Celtics uh, was really effective, getting the ball into the middle before they were just satisfied with passing around the perimeter and taking contested threes. They got into scenes, they, they attacked, and then Miami, because that's Miami's best defense. I mean, that's where they hung their hat on. That's where they've won games because they're playing different than a lot of other teams. It's almost like watching a college team. Uh, so I think that's another thing that bodes well for the Celtics is they figure out how to win. And, of course, I'm sure that Miami will make adjustments and do different things, but I think that was the difference in, in that game three. We're seeing physical fitness go to another level. Uh, guys are more into their diets than ever before and working out with specialists and all this. And when I see a stat that Jamal Murray was plus 16 in 44 minutes, and then that means in the other four minutes that his team was outscored by 18 points in the four minutes he was off the floor. Can these guys get to the point where they just play 48 minutes? Is that possible? Is that some mental breakthrough that once one guy does it, like shooting 35-footers, other people will try it too? Or is there just no way to do that, even with these long TV timeouts and playoff games and that kind of stuff? 
you know, I, I think it makes it more difficult when you're playing every other day. I mean, the, the body, you know, recovers. And then and they have all the latest and greatest technology for recovery. Uh, and, and, and that helps. But, but certainly the athletes today are fitter than they've ever been. And, uh, and, and the game is played at a, at a pretty rapid pace. Uh, where and, and in the physicality of the game, so I, you know, I, I don't, I'm not saying. I mean, if anybody could do it, he could. Uh, certainly, there are guys that can play extended minutes. But when you're playing seven game series and you're doing it again and again, your body eventually breaks down. Now, one thing you can hear every one of these players, they just talk when they finish and they're being interviewed. It's like, hey, I got to go back and, and and basically they're going back to take care of their body. You know, whether it's with ice or heat or you know, stretching or whatever they have, there, there are the technology is such that they can really get these guys to recover in a short period of time. But I, I agree with you. The fitness of, of these athletes, we, we're watching it on TV, and you, you all have seen, as I have, watched these games up close and personal and seen the physical contact and how it wears on you. And uh, so the, con- the conditioning is incredible. And really, to be honest with you, at the end of games, you think about how, how important that Murray is to this team. And he's, you know, he's having to great, he's having to defend great guards. He's running the team. He's having to make big baskets. Uh, he, he, I've never seen a guy fitter than this guy. I mean, he, he just goes and goes and goes, and, and he's given everything he had. And I, I can't believe this thing is up. I'd be surprised if this is a six or a seven game series, just because. Number one, the Lakers are very talented, and they have significant size to offset all of the wonderful offensive stuff that that the Nuggets do and and how Jokic is just a a genius and a mastermind on the floor seeing people. But the Lakers have something nobody else has in the playoffs, and that's the significant size at the rim. And all the back cuts, all the easy baskets around the rim are much harder to come by. But – yeah, I, I have such a, a great appreciation for, appreciation for Murray because he's a really good defender. And uh, when you're playing those kinds of minutes and still have the capacity to, you know, have triple doubles, guard your guy, it, it says a lot about where the athletes are today, the conditioning, the off season. But I think really the recovery type things that are happening when you're playing 48 hours later, there's a lot of recovery, a lot of a lot of ice, ice tubs, and all the different technology they have to cool their bodies down and replenish them is, is really important as playing the game. So now that DeChambeau won the U.S. Open, have you relinquished your title as the best golfer in the San Joaquin Valley? <laughs> you know, it's interesting. He, 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 he's, I was here and he was at uh, Clovis East High School and that's, you know, a brand new high school and it's, not, it's certainly not a golf school. And uh, when you start thinking about him uh, being an NC2A champion, being a U.S. Amateur champion, and now a U.S. Open champion, and I, I, I know guys that I mean, that he used to train with, and there's a, a, a golf course in Fresno called Dragonfly. It's a public golf course. His his coach in high school was there. I know they kind of had a little bit of a falling out, uh, and I, I don't know him personally, uh, but I know a lot of people that do know him. And he's, you know, obviously he's somewhat of an eccentric. I mean, I, I watched his post-match uh, interview, and uh, it, it so I felt like I was in a science class. And uh, you know, he's, it, it's just so different. And uh, you know what? There were so many naysayers, 
uh, in golf and people don't know anything about golf in terms of what he did to his body and, and how he's approaching this game and the fact that a club, you know, I haven't got the, I haven't got the swing speed to have all my clubs be the same size. You know, uh, I'm going to be hitting a driver probably 130 yards and about the same I hit a pitching wedge. But uh, the things he's done, it is fun. I mean, he, he just kind of shut everybody up. You know, and he's, he's a little bit obnoxious at times, but it's fun to see someone out of the box like that in the game and do things that are so different and then do it on arguably one or two of the toughest golf courses on the planet to play. So uh, re- really fun to see, and uh, I'm glad that we, you know, I know we'd like to have fans that day, but I'm just grateful we have golf to watch. It's, uh, it, it, it takes up some time, and it's, I have obviously all three of us have played the game a little bit, but uh, it's fun to watch golf. I can't wait to when they have fans again. But yeah, Bryson DeChambeau is one of a kind, and it's what it's what golf needs. It's what sport needs. You need people like this. It gets something to talk about. I can imagine today that Twitter's blowing up, and uh, there'll be a lot of opinions about what he's done. But he's got just a kind of a sly smile on his face, saying, "I told you so." And uh, but. There's a tournament next week, so you got to keep doing it. But it, it, what a, what an a feat! What what an amazing, amazing uh, feat of mental toughness and physical toughness and just preparation. Well, if this gives Clovis East and Clovis West something to bicker about. I suppose that's a good thing, right? <laughs> exactly. You know, that's the funny. Here's a little story. So when I was coaching basketball at Clovis West High School, brand new high school. Uh, and I, you know, I'm, I'm probably making like $25,000 a year and just trying to make bills, pay the bills. And they, they came up to me and, and asked me, and they said, Hey, we need a golf coach. And I've never played golf in, in, in my twenties or thirties. And, and I said, you know, it, it pays $2,500. I said, I'm, I'm there. <laughs> you know, I got it. You know, and, and we had a high school that had ninth and 10th graders and ninth and 10th, you know, it's a brand new school, but it, it, there came a point in time where, this became uh, a country club type school. There was a country club real close. It was the home course. And we won like seven straight section championships, went to the Southern Sectionals in California. And I just basically drove the van. I, I did eventually fall in love with this game, but it wasn't really until I got to BYU and I got, a, I got a membership at a golf and I had time to play a little bit of golf in the summers. But uh, no, that, that's the irony is, is that I – I was part of that. The, the Clovis golf teams and, and the, that community, golf is really big. The, the, the first tee and the whole community for, for young people. There's been some great players here come out of here. And uh, so I remember when he was playing. And But I always have fond memories about my experiences as a golf coach. Basically, stay out of their way and, and don't try to teach them anything, you know. <laughs> get, get them to the golf course safely and let's move forward. But we had great times. And... Uh, I actually actually had a, a young woman, Joan Pitcock, who played in the LPGA, who was our number one player, and that had all sorts of ramifications when she was beating the boys, and because there were no there was no women's golf at that time, you know what I'm saying? And so she played with the guys, played from the same tees, and kicked their butt, and a lot of them had to have therapy afterwards. So I do have some golf experiences, but uh, Columbus has great golf and great golf coaches now, and. I certainly wasn't one of them, but uh, it was it was a fun fun thing to do in the spring and make a little extra money. Roll the balls out, coach. You just got to roll the golf exactly. balls out. <laughs> exactly right, and that's exactly what I did. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Steve. We got to run. We appreciate it. All right, man. Take care. 
Steve Gleeman, our basketball insider, joining us here on 97.5, 1280 The Zone. All right, the Pac-12 looks like they're coming back. Maybe Halloween, maybe the first Saturday in November. If they are coming back, how much time do the players need to get ready? How much time do the Utes and the Sun Devils need since they've still been doing some work? And how much more time does Stanford need since their team's been scattered across the country because the campus has been closed? Jordan Pendleton played at BYU. He's the owner of Performance One, and we are going to run those questions past him next. Stay with us. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. The Pac-12 will move on regardless of what California and Oregon schools are able to do. It's not a matter of if, it's just when. Is it going to be October? Is it going to be early November? Is it going to be mid to late November? And i got to think with the Big Ten, with their announcement today, Pac-12 has to make the announcement quick if they want to get in on college football playoff in New Year's Six games. You can't, okay, well, let's get a bunch of Zoom meetings and try to figure this out. No, you got to go. Whether California can go or not, it doesn't matter. You got to go. And that's there is a lot of urgency right now because if the Pac-12 starts in mid to late November, what are you playing for? What are you doing? Hanson Scotting. Weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ, PK, and Jordan Pendleton joining us now. Owner of Performance One, former BYU linebacker. We have many things to speak with him about. BYU's home opener for one. And also the Utes and the Pac-12 restarting. Jordan, good morning. Good morning. How's it going, guys? Good. Good. PK thought of your name. You are the perfect guy to ask multiple questions about the Pac-12 and the Big Ten restarting. Um, there was an article, I don't know if you read The Athletic or not, it's behind a paywall, so not everyone does, but Bruce Feldman has an excellent article with several quotes, some of which are quite profane and can't be shared on the radio, but basically there are coaches, assistant coaches and strength and conditioning coaches saying that they need four or six or in some cases eight weeks to get ready for the season. One strength coach doesn't think they should play till the middle of November. They're going to have a bleep ton of injuries. You can't just go from routes on air to playing Washington. Now, Utah and ASU have been able to work at one level. Uh, UCLA has had like three of their last five workouts called off because of air quality. So, you know, aside from COVID stuff, because of the fires, they haven't even been able to to go out and, you know, have 12 guys work against air. So there's a lot of wiggle room here as far as what teams have done. But when you hear all of this, as a guy who's in the performance and athletic performance industry and you played, how much practice and how much hitting do you need to get ready for football? Yeah, that's a, that's a very interesting point. You know, I, I think I, I agree with, with what he's saying. Um, and, and you saw it yesterday in the NFL. There was a um, – if you guys – Paid, I'm sure you guys did, uh, but if you paid attention to the NFL games yesterday, I think there was over 20 injuries mm-hmm. just yesterday alone, and, and um, a lot of ACLs and guys that are you know Pro Bowl type players that are getting injured, and so just to see that many injuries was oh man, it was, it was terrible. But you know, I I agree. Football is it's such a physical sport; it requires you to do. Uh, a, a lot of things that other sports don't require you to do. You know, there's, there's a lot of cutting, there's a lot of change of direction, uh, and then you, you got to you're moving in multiple directions: backpedaling, shuffling, coming downhill, forward. 
there, there's a lot of different movements involved in the game of football. And then not to mention you're, you're, you're weighed down by your pads. So you're doing it uh, at a weight that you're, that's heavier than what you're used to walking around at. Um, and then, and then you got to do it on, on top of that. You got to do it while, you, while you're hitting people and, and getting off blocks and, and making tackles. And, and so it's a, it's a very demanding sport on the body. There's a reason we only play once a week, right. In, in comparison to other sports that, that can have back to back games and, and, and play mul- multiple times a week. So there's a reason we only play, you know, in the NFL 16 games a year and in college sometimes 10, 11 games a year. It's, it's a very demanding sport. And to not have a, a you know, the off season, is, in my opinion, is the most important time to, to get ready and prepare the body uh, for those demands during the season. And, and so it makes a, an interesting topic to go into a season without having been fully you know, prepared physically to, to take on the demands of the sport. And so uh, it'll be interesting to see how they pull it off and, and when they actually start. But uh, I would have to agree with, you know, I would have to agree with his, with his statements uh, about injuries being more prevent, prevalent with less preparation time for sure. So you're dealing with when you train these college athletes, which you do professionally many times over, football players, whatever the sport may be, we'll just focus on football for now. When you get them, uh, how long do you need in your training that you do with these individuals before you feel like they would be ready to actually play a game or actually go into a training camp practice and be able to withstand all the physical regimens that they have to do? Yeah, it's a good it's a good question. Every every athlete is different, obviously, and and every athlete has a different starting point when they first come in. Um, if it's somebody you know coming off the season or getting ready for a season, uh, you know our our first initial training block is just about just really getting their body ready for higher loads and 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 more volume. So that usually takes about a month, and then it'll take another two to three months to get an athlete, um, you know, physically ready to, to go out and handle the loads that come with football. Um, you know, not, not just from a strength standpoint, but from an overall conditioning standpoint, you know, football is a elastic aerobic sport. So you've got to, you've got to have the conditioning to be able to, to last for four hours. And then you've got intermittent resting between the games where sometimes if you're on defense, you might be out on the field for a drive, and then if your offense is on the field on a long drive, sometimes you're sitting around for, uh, you know, ten minutes before you get back on the field. So, so you you've got to be ready to not only, um, you know, take intermittent rest in between the game, but then go back out again and then go full go uh, and, and be able to last for three and a half, four hours, depending on how long the game typically lasts. And so, it, it's just a different sport as far as the energy demands and. Um, you know, you know, usually, ideally, these strength coaches are going to want a three, a good three, four month block of training before they hand them over into the, you know, the, the heat of a season. So, Jordan, there are a lot of cliches that uh, we deal with in the media that we get really tired of. Um, there's probably some you enjoyed sharing when you played. I don't know. Maybe, uh, uh, you know, coaches, uh, we're going to change the culture of this. Okay, I know you need to do that, but honestly, please. But here's a good one from the end of camp. 
We're really tired of hitting each other. We can't wait to get out there and hit somebody else. Man, if that quote doesn't have to be said about 10 days before every season opener. Um, but how much of that hitting, even if it bores players, is necessary? I mean, is that like a lower level of hitting than games? Kind of explain that to people who haven't been through a college football season. Yeah, you know, it, it, it's definitely important that's that's the other tough thing about about football is you really can't prepare for an actual game unless you unless you hit each other and you know so it's it's not like other sports where you can go and um you know like basketball where you know you can you can run through plays and you can run up and down the court you don't you don't really have to be full go when it comes to football and you're trying to make tackles the the only way to practice football is to to actually go live, um, you know, and, 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 and it's such a different situation when you're in a game and you've got to make a tackle or you've got to make a block on somebody that's going full speed. Uh, it's, a, it's a whole different beast. And in order to prepare for that, you've got to do that in practice. And, you know, sometimes it becomes monotonous when you're going up against the same same guys every, you know, every single day. Um, it, and, and so – there, there is a definitely a lot of truth to that because you know you just can't prepare um, properly without actually going through live practice and um, you know and it's it, usually in college uh, it's very rarely are you going ones ones against ones um, you, you're trying to keep your starters healthy and 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 you're trying you know you're trying to limit the amount of times that you're going one on ones um, you know specifically talking starters on defense versus the starters on offense. So um, it's very important to have a good practice, you know, a good practice team. But then again, um, you know, even though you're going live, you're not necessarily getting the best looks uh, going against, you, you know, a fourth string or, or red shirt um, or, or, or a walk-on player for that matter. So, um, you know, but it, but it is necessary to get and prepare for the season. So when I was watching the uh, Sunday night game, they said Belichick used every single defensive player that he had dressed in the first game because of they didn't have the preseason and all that stuff. So when the Pac-12 gets going, which looks like it's going to be fairly soon anyway, do you expect that type of deal to where guys are going to be needing uh, opportunities to come off, and so other guys maybe they play more guys than they normally would because of this unique situation that we've had as far as training. Yeah, I think I think it's a smart approach. Uh, I definitely do, and you know every coach is going to be different, and every coach is going to have their own philosophy of how they're going to do that. Uh, I think I think it's going to really highly depend on the depth of the team, um, and and if these if these coaches feel like they have good depth with their twos and their threes, then I don't see why they wouldn't um, versus just, you know, letting these starters go in full goal when they haven't really had a ton of, you know, preparation physically as far as training and getting prepared for the season. So I think it's a smart approach, but you also don't want to um, you put yourself at risk by putting people out there that uh, are, are going to affect the team in a negative way. And, and so, um, you know, it's going to come down to which teams have the most depth and if they're able to uh, plug a lot of guys in there and, and still be effective during the game. Former Cougar Jordan Pendleton joining us. So uh, your Cougars looked awesome against Navy. 
the offensive line, just massive holes. How much of that do you think BYU's got a really good offensive line and they are going to roll through Troy and roll through the other teams? And how much of that was Navy hadn't been hitting and it really isn't a fair test? Yeah, that's a, that's a tough one, man. They, they did look unbelievable. It was, it was so nice to see us uh, be able to establish the run game. And, and uh, uh, for, for the first time in a while, it looked like we had – and identity on offense, and and then it, it opened up the pass game for Zach Wilson, and it was awesome to see a, a balanced game from BYU where we're rushing over 200 yards, throwing over 200 yards, and you know it, it, it's it's tough to say. You know, Navy is a tough team to um, kind of gouge that off of because uh, you know those Navy teams and Air Forces and Armies, they're 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 teams where they need a lot and a lot of repetition. Um, the, the style of football that they play just requ- it requires a lot of precision. Um, most most times they're undersized, and uh, um, you know especially like their their offense and, and the, the the scheme that they run on offense. It requires a lot of timing and a lot of precision, and and they've got to be perfect in order to execute. And, and that's what makes those programs effective and, and and kind of the style of football that they play. So it's a really and, and I don't know how their offseason went. It sounded like, you know, they missed a lot of time. And, and, you know, when you're in a style of program like that, it's very hard to judge off of, you know, one first game. But with that being said, um, you know, BYU took full advantage of it and, and they looked really good. And I'm hoping, I'm hoping that uh, that's how BYU is going to play the rest of the season. And so we'll find out. Uh, it's going to be tough. They had, I think, two weeks off after that game, you know, you would love to see them be able to play with that momentum, be able to play the next week and and um, and carry that momentum on. But having two weeks off and then now facing Troy, uh, it'll be interesting to see how BYU comes out and how they've been preparing for the last two weeks since the victory over Navy. So I know you and your brother can get crazy. Do you take it? Did you take it easy when you're up there in my neighbor's cabin in Star Valley? <laughs> Yeah, we took we took it easy. Um, I just we just golf and and hanging out. That's really all we do up there. But um, no, we we love it up there, man. I I took it easy. The golf course didn't take it easy on me, though. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> Did you try to Bryson uh, Deschambeau it, kind of muscle up on that thing, and the golf course bit uh, you? That's that's all I do. That's all I do. It doesn't work out for me about ninety percent of the time, though. Well, Jordan, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for coming on and talking football and a little training, a little uh, Pac-12 and a little Cougars. We appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. Jordan Pendleton, owner of Performance One and former BYU linebacker. All right, stay with us. Pop quiz time for PK. You can play along. We will do that next, football fans, right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. And now, your Rocky Mountain Chevy dealer's strong play of the weekend. 
Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! That's the Chevy Strong play of the game. Know it today at 4.50 on the big show, and you can win fabulous prizes. All right, PK. Pop quiz time. Your genius will be on full display if you pull this off. I give you a 7% chance of getting this right. Are you ready? No. (laughs) I'm off my game. Normally on a Sunday, I would have been on this at 3 or 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And I think it was last night at midnight before it even occurred to me. What is the point spread for BYU's home opener? You want to take a shot at it? The point spread against the men of Troy? Against the men of Troy. The Trojans? Not those Trojans, but yes, the Trojans. No Trojan men. Trojans. <laughs> well, I think you'd have to go. Jeez, uh, you'd have to go in the range of. Uh, I'd say low teens, so I'd say thirteen, fourteen. So I'll go thirteen and a half. Well, two touchdowns and a couple extra points somewhere in that range I was thinking off the strength of that performance against Navy that it was going to be like 17 maybe even 18 or 19 not 20 20 seems disrespectful three touchdowns that, that's why I think it's 17 or 18 too low teens came to my mind so and you know what we should have gotten together and averaged it because the spread is 15. It actually opened at 16 it's dropped a little bit oh really down a point then yeah 15 is what every I saw. sports book is different yeah but. then anyway just in case you're wondering where the uh, the Vegas gamblers see this working out? Because Troy is just a total mystery. We don't follow them. We don't follow their league. Okay, so you try to watch the games leading up to the game, but it's a weird year. There's been very little September football, and Troy's played one game. <laughs> and we don't know what to make of the BYU-Navy game, so it's all a big mystery. But 15, that's the, uh, that's the best guess. That's... That's what yeah, I would actually there. be interested in someone should do a story on betting how it's working out of Vegas now with the uh, unusual nature of the seasons of Navy not hitting and all that stuff. And, you know, who knew what to expect? And I don't remember what that line was. It seemed like it was low. Started out Navy, then went BYU yeah, by went a couple. Back and and obviously they won by 52. And you've got a bunch of teams that – are, especially in the early part, that there's a lot of unfamiliarity and teams thrown together, schedules thrown together. Uh, yeah, and even as you get into the SEC play with conference play, you know, these teams haven't had the, the – uh, we just had Jordan Pendleton on. Obviously, he's talking about how to gear up for a season. It literally starts months in advance. That's the whole point of what you're doing when you reconvene in January is to get ready for September. That's the point of that. And they're not having that. Uh, they had it January and February, and a few teams had a few spring practices, but then everything was shut down middle of March. So how does that play out in terms of betting lines? Not just because when you're doing the betting, you're, you know, you're doing the line. It's not just you're picking a team to win. How, how is that playing out? How are the, the sports books doing with that? that that's a, and, and, and sports and betting go hand in hand, particularly football. Yep. You know, I don't understand that stuff with basketball and baseball, and I would never bet on those sports. Basketball, you'd score some garbage points. I've seen it a million times when I'm down there over the years, and half the casino erupts on some meaningless three-pointer at the end because of uh, 
what can change the line. Football seems to be more true that way, and there's and I've been in many, many times over in Vegas on Saturdays and even Sundays for that matter. Football's a little – I mean, the NFL's a little bit different, but the colleges are so unpredictable. So how is that playing out in terms of them – making money, losing money, people winning money, people betting. Is the betting number, is it down? Is it increased? All that type of stuff. I think we all, even though I don't partake of it and never have, I find it fascinating. So uh, Stuart Mandel, longtime college football writer, uh, he's with The Athletic now, had a note about uh, Southern Miss and Louisiana Tech. It's one of these ultimate 2020 games, right? So Southern Miss is a five-point favorite. And Louisiana Tech, uh, not long before kickoff, announces they're missing six starters and 20 players from its two deep. Right. Note aside, those are the games I thought wouldn't be played. But some people want to barrel through and play football no matter what. So six starters, 20 players. And let's not single Tech out. They're not the first team to do that. But nonetheless, six starters and 20 players from the two deep seems significant. There's 44 players plus some specialists on the two deep. 20 players is a lot. So the line very quickly moves to from five to seven. With 14 seconds left in the game, Louisiana Tech, fourth and goal, and Southern Miss is up by six points. <laughs> the line went from five to seven. And with 14 seconds left, it's sitting right in between that. Ultimately, the Bulldogs scored, and so they didn't end up sitting right, right in the middle of the, uh, of the point spread like that. But right, yeah. Whether the casinos are doing well, I guess depends on how many people are betting. And I would think, uh, you know, they're probably taking a little bit of a hit just because people aren't going there. But I'm sure the people running the offshore sites because you can bet on your phone now. You don't even have to get out of your, get off the couch or get out of your lazy Mobile boy. Mobile betting, baby. Yeah, right. You know, it's, I mean, people still road trip to Vegas. And the casinos have stayed open. People have brought that up a time or two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why well, are... Vegas is still Vegas is still Vegas, man. Right. Why are casinos open when X, Y, and Z are not open? Yeah, because the mean, Democrats it, it, because the Democrats are counting on the labor unions, and the Republicans don't want to irritate the biggest single donor they got out there who owns casinos. So really, no one's motivated to say anything to casinos right now. Well, yeah, plus you don't want to get your kneecap busted. And there's that, the physical pain. So, <laughs> you know, when we come back, I've given you guys now two hours, and if you don't deliver at the start of the 9 o'clock hour, I just may get up and leave. There's something that has to happen today, and it better happen now. All right, somebody call Carl Malone. The mailman needs to make a delivery. We need a delivery. Next, PK's demanding deliverance. That's a disturbing movie. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.